1: Although the Beatles put out their last record in 1970 and two of the members have since passed away, the band put out an original song two weeks ago thanks to some new technology that made it possible. To tip or not to tip?
0: That is the question. Gone are the days of 10-15% to 15% at a sit-down restaurant being the only place that we're asked to tip. But coming soon, we may have to tip before we get the food if we want to get the food at all. In addition to the legacy
1: of hatred and destruction that Adolf Hitler left behind, he also left behind a pretty sizable estate and some writings that continue to generate money to this day. So clearly no one is profiting off that, right?
0: All of that on this edition of Commute. Let's get it.
1: Today we've talked about the Beatles on this podcast before. Uh, a while back, we did a segment on a conspiracy theory that Paul McCartney is actually dead and that he was replaced <laughs> with a body double. So <laughs> that's been our, our history here <laughs> on this show with the Beatles. Uh, but when it comes to that band, are you uh, a fan? Did you grow up listening to them or do you currently listen to them?
0: See, the Beatles are one of those things that uh, my my dad Kevin Traub, shout out uh, Kevin avid listener and supporter of commute. He's such a super fan, like he knows everything about the Beatles. That's almost like I feel like I can't even talk about the Beatles because anything I would say, he would probably go, "Ah, well, you, you know, you're wrong," but uh, or that's almost right. You know, he'd be in his in his head correcting me whether he wants to or not. <laughs> so I'm just going to leave it there. Like, yeah, the Beatles.
1: How about that? Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, Just kind of (laughs) feeling like you're a little bit intimidated by somebody else's knowledge of something like um have you heard the story that we're about to talk about have you heard that a new beatles r- song was released about two weeks ago well
0: i have once again because of him so like if that would have <laughs> happened and he wouldn't have let me know something something's wrong now
1: something you're stressing me out, out a little bit wrong. about this segment because like i feel like there's somebody <laughs> just watching me uh, while I'm talking oh, about he it and
0: probably many other people will be fact-checking you and, correcting you <laughs> and talk but you know proceed
1: Well, I'll do my best here to do it justice. Uh, So Dave, at some point in the late 1970s, John Lennon sat down at a piano and recorded the demo of a song called Now and Then. And while the song was never officially recorded and released to the public, two weeks ago, the song was released and officially dubbed as the Beatles' final recording. The production of the song actually has a long history, dating back to 1994, when Lennon's widow, Yoko Ono, sent Paul McCartney three of Lennon's demos of the song. McCartney, drummer Ringo Starr, and guitarist George Harrison, who has since passed away, worked on completing the song and recording tracks to accompany it. The technical issues, however, really led to problems that at the time could not be corrected enough to release the track. In several places on the recording, the piano track just overpowered Lennon's vocal track, and since both the piano and the vocals were recorded on the same track, separating the two was just something that was not technologically possible at the time. But with recent breakthroughs with artificial intelligence, the dream of being able to separate the vocals from the piano suddenly became more of a reality. The line to walk here, though, was tricky. In order to release the song, the track needed to feature all original recordings of the actual members of the band, including Harrison and Lennon, who have since passed on. Using generative technology to create a copycat sound of Lennon's voice is absolutely possible and could even generate a voice that sounds identical to Lennon's. But from a creative standpoint, this would not have been well received by the public as a true song by the band. The technology used to piece this song together is actually the same technology Peter Jackson used to direct his revolutionary 2021 Beatles docuseries, Get Back, in which recordings of the band were extracted and revived. This is not a fake John Lennon created by a computer, said Michael McCarty, the CEO of Kilometer Music Group, a music publishing company based in Toronto. This is the real John Lennon, whose voice was basically buried in tape hiss and a wobbly piano on an old demo. And so what they've been able to do is extract his vocal and make a pure, clean vocal as if he had recorded it today. And Dave, as we look forward to the future of music and this sort of technology, there's definitely optimism surrounding its use depending on how responsibly it is used. Obviously, it can be used in a similar way in the future to restore old recordings of lost artists and preserve music that the public had never heard. But from an artistic standpoint, the industry has to grapple with questions of what does an artist's work mean? Theoretically, Dave, we could build this sort of hybrid John Lennon from the parts of him we have lying around and generate new music attributed to John Lennon, but from a generative AI that has been trained to think and sing like him, which is sort of a nightmarish version of the future of art, but at least for now, the remaining members of the Beatles believe that they have created a genuine piece of art reflective of the band that was actually created by the band, even if unconventionally. When asked if he believes John Lennon would have wanted this a couple weeks ago, Paul McCartney said this, Is it something we shouldn't do? Every time I thought that, I thought, wait a minute. Let's say I had the chance to ask John. Hey, John, would you like us to finish this last song of yours? I'm telling you, I know the answer would have been yes. He would have loved that.
0: Well, Jay, believe it or not, you know John Lennon, who died in 1980, actually did buy the first copy, the first printed copy of this song now and then. So John Lennon, a.k.a. Beatles superfan Alan Williams, who changed his name to John Lennon in 2022. According to (laughs) reporting by the Daily Mail, Mr. Lennon uh, was at the front of the queue, the front of the line at a midnight launch event and claims to have the first physical copy in his possession. So how about that?
1: Well, that's incredibly confusing, and <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm, I think I understood what you said, but still, I'm not 100 percent sure. Well,
0: the thing about it, so there's a picture of him here, and he looks like a uh, he's like a version C or version D of Elton John. So, if there was like a direct to DVD movie and they needed an Elton John actor, he could he could be that actor. Um, <laughs> so you know, it's like doesn't look like him, but kind of does. So one of those things. But yeah. So how about that? John Lennon bought the first copy of his own song. (laughs) Jay, what has been your experience with food delivery services? Like, have you ever done it? Do you regularly do it? Do you actually have a side hustle doing it that we've never talked about? (laughs) <laughs> Which would be my preferred answer?
1: <laughs> I do not. Um, so sorry to disappoint you today. But no, I don't really use them that often because I just, it just gets so expensive so fast. And, you you sit there and you choose your food and you start adding the delivery option and all of a sudden the fees just start nickel and diming yeah. you and and at the point it's like do I want to pay $50 for dinner right now you know like you get to that point where you're like it's convenient but for me i just I can't get there. <laughs> you know, it's like I just, I'm like, I will go get it myself. Well,
0: yeah, and it's like typically if you're spending 50 bucks, you want $50, you know, in food quality. You don't tip, like, you're not typically expecting Taco Bell or, like, Little Caesars right. or whatever it is that you ordered. Um, but, yeah, how funny would that be, by the way, if I did order something on, like, Uber Eats and you delivered it? And it was me. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, $5 tip, huh? <laughs> For me. Well, well, Thanks a lot. Well, Jay, I, uh, I only use it in, in certain situations, very rarely. Like, I have two small children, as you know, so when my wife is gone and old daddy needs some tacos, like, you know, desperate times call for desperate measures, so sometimes i got to pull it out. I usually, though, I just drive over like you do and pick it up myself. But with that said, I do have a few bad experiences <laughs> that I can uh, talk about when it comes to food delivery services. You're a
1: little combative, though. So that should be Oh, shown. am I? Like sometimes am I? Well, it's a little bit like, excuse me, sir. Like, <laughs> well, here's the problem.
0: How are you going to f- correct this? <laughs> okay. Well, let me tell you the story and you then see if you need to apologize or not. So the one that really stands out to me the most, this happened like three years ago. Okay, I ordered some tacos from Chipotle. I saw that the DoorDash driver had picked it up from Chipotle. I tracked him on his journey. It'll pop up like, hello, Timothy has picked up your food. And it'll say, here's his number. You can talk to him or whatever. At a certain point, though, I realized that he had passed my house. Okay, So I texted (laughs) his Dasher's cell phone number. And I said, hey, uh, we'll say Timothy was his name. Hey, Timothy, uh, I noticed you passed my house. I'm just making sure that you, you realize that and you're coming back. No response. Texted hey, he him again. Dr- he was driving, so... No response again. <laughs> Eventually, Jay, he did respond, and I am not making this up. He said, yeah, I'm sorry about that. I'm keeping your food. <laughs> That's what the text message said. <laughs> All okay. right, well, now, yeah, <laughs> your, your outrage is justified. <laughs> <laughs> now, I will say, I got to add this in, Chipotle did refund me. Okay, so shout out Chipotle. But the world's most honest criminal, Timothy, <laughs> stole... My tacos.
1: He's like, this job, isn't, this job isn't worth what I'm about to get out of this meal right now.
0: <laughs> he just really thought, man, this is the perfect order. I'm taking this. <laughs> but Jay, situations like that, maybe not the theft part, but the you're not getting your food part, they may start to happen more often to folks who order from the popular delivery service DoorDash if they don't leave a tip thanks to a new system being piloted by the food delivery company. Jay, in certain areas of the U.S. and Canada, at the end of the order screen, when you can select to tip the driver or continue without tipping, if you select to continue with no tip, you may just not receive your food at all, or at least receive it very, very late. After selecting no tip, the app now says, in a slightly threatening way, orders with no tip might take longer to get delivered. Are you sure you want to continue? Jay, this DoorDash change comes at a very complicated time in regard to both the American opinion on tipping in general and a rise in concern about the rights of folks like freelance delivery drivers and acquiring fair pay. And DoorDash has been busy trying to solve the latter issue. According to reporting by the New York Times, in June of 2023... The company announced that for the first time ever, it would give delivery drivers the option to be paid an hourly minimum wage, which would vary by region, instead of earning money for each delivery. The per-delivery payouts have always differed based on region, distance, and restaurant. But Jay, this was a major shift. And while the threatening tip-ask is only a pilot program for now, it could find its way to your local town very soon. While the vast majority of customers do leave a tip, orders that don't include a tip can be seen as less desirable, Jen Rosenberg, a DoorDash spokesman, told the Times. And Jay, when it comes to tipping in general, something we've covered before on the show, it has moved beyond the traditional restaurant experience and become part of the norm for to-go orders of all shapes and sizes and even your morning coffee order. And Jay, public sentiment has turned sour on such. According to NPR, 60% of American consumers say they're not happy about how often they are asked to tip, and because of that, they've found themselves tipping less. This rise in annoyance seems to coincide with the rise in new tipping structures like that of DoorDash, where you tip before you actually even receive a service. As for me, though, Jay, well, I don't tip for things like my coffee, but I don't throw a fit when I tip for things that I probably shouldn't be tipping for either. I'd say my tipping style falls somewhere between a person who tips too much and my grandpa who didn't tip at all because he had heard that tipping was now included in the price at every restaurant he went to. So I I think I'm doing just fine. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I'm surprised it's
1: 60%. I feel like the public has just completely turned on tipping. And I think a lot of it has to do with what you're saying is just the frequency with which people are asked to tip now for things that or maybe they weren't asked to tip for in the past. So, you know, you order a coffee or something and being asked to tip 20 or 25%. Like, I think it's just gotten to the point. We're in kind of an economy that's straining people's wallets anyway. So I think we're kind of at the point where people have just completely turned on it. Like, and even whenever you should legitimately be tipping, people are just annoyed that they have to.
0: What would be worse? Okay, so let's say you order a hamburger. Okay, so you're going to have some fast food, a hamburger delivered. What would be worse? Either it doesn't come... And so you're like, ah, oh, I just have to make a frozen pizza or whatever. Or it comes three hours later.
1: It's what would you way prefer- worse that it's three hours later. Because, like, <laughs> if at least they've told me, like, it's not coming, I can make a plan. If I have to sit there for three hours and think, like, <laughs> if I make this pizza, it's going to show up. Like, I know if I start the oven, it's going to show up. Like And then it's going to get there, and it's just going to be, you know, cold by the time you get it and not even good. I think
0: I saved that screenshot, by the way that text message if I did I'll I'll send it to you of that guy saying yeah I'm sorry about that I'm keeping your food hey thanks for dinner sucker and I can't remember in my mind he put an exclamation mark on it like I'm sorry about that I'm keeping your food
1: I mean at least he was honest Uh, I mean yeah So, Dave, you and I are both in our mid-30s, and it has been said that when a man gets to his mid-30s, that he becomes very into one of three things. All right, so I'm going to ask you these three things. You tell me which one you have gotten into in your mid-30s. One is smoking meat in some sort of like, (laughs) you know, meat, (laughs) meat smoker situation. Two is your lawn and lawn care. And three is World War II. So which of these three do you feel like you have most dived into?
0: Actually, none. I I, I mean, seriously, none. So World War II, I have just enough knowledge to be a respectable American citizen. Um, Smoking meats, not a chance. Just even the thought of it (laughs) bores me. Uh not the patience do it. of no, twelve uh, hours no for a meal. For that. Just, yeah. And my lawn, it's the best money I spend every week. I pay somebody else to do it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but do you stand at the window with like a cup of coffee like judging the, the lawn being mowed? No,
0: but I do I do get great joy out of the fact that I I, I have someone doing it for me. So maybe it's that. <laughs> Maybe it's that.
1: So somebody delivers your food. Somebody mows your lawn. What (laughs) what kind of world do we live in here? A man can have all his needs
0: taken care of. You're a history expert. So if I need anything on World War II, I'll just text you. So I've
1: got it covered. Well, yeah. So we're talking a little World War II today. But specifically, we're talking about something in our modern world, which is there is still money being generated somewhere in the world by things that Hitler created. And so we're asking the question, the question that I had was, is anyone still getting that money, right? Like, is is anyone profiting off the works of Hitler? So Dave, obviously anything produced by Hitler, including his most read work, his autobiographical hate-filled manifesto, Mein Kampf, is going to be infamous and controversial. But since things produced by Hitler are still being sold today, like for example, Dave, in 2015, 14 paintings attributed to Hitler were sold for $391 thousand euros, and copies of Mein Kampf are still sold today, mostly for historical research purposes. But the question I had here, like we said, was, is there anyone out there today that's actually profiting from the sale of anything produced by Hitler? And in short, the answer is kind of, sort of, but not really. So to get a closer look at this, it's important to first understand that the size of Hitler's estate upon his death was pretty massive. Not only had he made an absurd amount of money from just the sales of Mein Kampf, something like an estimated half a billion dollars adjusted for inflation from royalties of the book, which obviously had ended up in almost every German house in the 1930s and early 1940s during his rise to power... But he also had spent his time as Chancellor of Germany racking up money, and since he literally had a representative of the Ministry of Finance declare that the Fuhrer was free of tax obligations, he got away with paying taxes on none of it because he's Hitler after all. So when he died in 1945, the Bavarian government, a state of Germany, actually seized all of his property and the rights to his entire estate, which includes any royalties from Mein Kampf. Now, although the publication of this book was outlawed in Germany, this still does bring in some money to the present day, although the Bavarian government does donate these royalties to charity. And while Hitler did have a will that included that his estate should be split among his relatives, the Bavarian government just decided to ignore this because ultimately, like, it's Hitler we're talking about here. And while some of Hitler's still living relatives today could technically lay claim to Hitler's estate, which, by the way, is estimated to be worth millions even today— None of them are willing to do so because of the obvious firestorm of controversy that would result. Now, internationally, outside of Germany, things are a little bit different. In the U.K., the rights to the book belong to Hearst and Blackett, who purchased the rights to a translated version all the way back in 1933. In 1998, Random House bought Hearst and Blackett and therefore still owned the rights to Mein Kampf in the U.K., And while the publisher did donate the royalties to the charity, the German Welfare Council, in 2001, when this knowledge became public, the charity actually gave back a large portion of these royalties after coming under fire, particularly from the Holocaust Educational Trust. And today, the royalties are evidently given to another unnamed charity. Now, in the U.S., Houghton Mifflin owns the right to publish Mein Kampf after purchasing the rights in 1933. The U.S. government did seize the rights following World War II and made about $139,000 from it, but distributed that money to the War Claims Fund to pay out to victims of the war. In 1979, though, Houghton Mifflin quietly paid the U.S. government $37,254 to buy the rights back and earned an estimated $700,000 over the next 20 years on it. When this became public, the publisher made a statement that any and all money collected from publication would be distributed to charities. The issue, though, is, Dave, is most charities just straight up refuse the donations. They're like, you can keep that controversy for yourself. And so today, any publisher publishing the book states that the royalties are given to charities, but it's a whole other thing tracking down what those charities actually are. Now, Dave, on January 1st, 2016, Mein Kampf actually entered the public domain, meaning that there will likely be even more controversy and arguments in the future on who, if anyone, should profit off the hatred of Hitler.
0: And ultimately, I don't know if that's a gray area that we can ever really resolve. So I looked up, I can't believe how many paintings he had. Like he was, he was, he fancied himself an artist before he wasn't good enough for art school. But no, no. So I looked him (laughs) up. I I will say, I wanted them to be worse. They're not good, but you, uh, you know, he he had a little bit of skill, I guess you could say. But I did find that most people who know what they're talking about, like art critics, they uh, overwhelmingly agree that they are cold and unfeeling. And uh, therefore, are very negative about them. Well, what are you going to do? You are going to be the art critic who gets <laughs> quoted say, <laughs> saying something positive say. about Hitler? <laughs> That's like the kind of thing you share with your your family. You're like, you know, I, I'll tell you, I did see a, a piece from Hitler once that it wasn't as bad as I told people. It
1: You're was. like, honestly, like if the name wasn't on it, like I, I would have, you know, I would have kind of thought like, hey, it's not bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> But then I saw the name, I was like, oh, no, 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 no. This is uh, oh, hor- this cold, is cold, cold and, and awful. lacking emotion. <laughs> it's not something that we, we endorse here at our museum. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and that's it. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate, subscribe, and review Commute on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast network. Check us out. We're on social. We're on Facebook, Twitter, X, and Instagram. And you can always say what up at our website, meetthepodcast.com Music for Commute is provided by my main man, Jason Salmons for Jasis, and I'm Dave Traub. We'll see you next week. He said, Yeah, I'm sorry about that. I'm keeping your food.